Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Our lesson on tonight comes from the seventh chapter of First Kings. First Kings chapter seven. A lot of details, but not a whole lot of information. Chapter seven of First Kings, we begin reading from verse one. But Solomon was building his own house thirteen years. And he finished all his house. He built also the house for the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was 100 cubits, and the breadth thereof 50 cubits, and the height thereof 30 cubits. Upon four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams upon the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above upon the beams that lay on 45 pillars, 15 in a row. And there were 50, there were there were windows in three rows, and light was against light in three ranks. And all the doors and poles were square with the windows, and light was against light in three ranks. And he made a porch of pillars. The length thereof was 50 cubits, and the breadth thereof 30 cubits. And the porch was before them, and the other pillars and the thick beam were before them. Then he made a porch for, for the throne where he might judge, even the porch of judgment. And it was covered with cedar from one side of the floor to the other. And his house, where he dwelt, had an other court within the porch, which was of the like work Solomon made also a house of Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife, like unto his porch. All these were of costly stones, according to the measures of huge stones, Sawed with saws within and without, even from the foundation unto the coping, and so on the other side toward the great court. And the foundation were costly stones, even even great stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were costly stones after the measures of huge stones and cedars. And the great court round about was with three rows of huge stones and a row of cedar beams, both of the inner court of the house of the Lord, and for the porch of the house. And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram, up to, of Tyre, Hiram out of Tyre. He was a window, he was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning to work all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. 
For he cast two pillars of brass of 18 cubits high, high apiece, and a line of 12 cubits did compass either of them about. And he made two chapters of molten brass to set upon the top of the pillars. The height of the one chapter was five cubits, and the height of the other chapter was five cubits. And nets of checker work, and writs of chain work, writ of chain work. For the chapter which were upon the top of the pillar, seven for the one chapter, and seven for the other chapter. And he made the pillars, and two rows round about upon the one network, to cover the chapter that were upon the top with pomegranate, and so did he for the other chapter. And the chapter that were upon the top of the pillar were of lily work in the porch, four cubits. And the chapter upon the two pillars had pomegranates also above, over against the belly, which was by the network. And the pomegranates were 200 in rows round about upon the other chapter. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple. And he set up the right pillar and called the name thereof Jacqueline. And he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. And upon the top of the pillars was lily work. So was the work of the pillars finished. And he made a molten seat, 10 cubits from the one brim to the other. And it was round all about, and his height was five cubits and line of 30 cubits did compass it round about. And under the brim of it round about, there were knobs compassing it, 10 in a cubit, compassing the seat round about. The knobs were cast in two rows. When it was cast, it stood upon 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. And the sea was set above upon them, and all their hinder parts were inward. And it was a, it was a hand breadth thick, and the brim thereof was wrought like the brim of a cup with flowers and lilies. It contained 2,000 baths. And he made ten bases of brass. Four cubits was the length of one base, and four cubits was the breadth thereof. And three cubits were three cubits the height of it. And the work of the brass was upon was on this manner. They had borders, and the borders were between the ledges. And on the borders that were between the ledges were were lion oxen and cherubim. And upon the ledges there was a base above, and beneath the lines and oxen were certain additions made of thin work. And every base had four bracing wheels and plates of brass, and the four corners thereof had undersetters. Under the label were undersetters molten at the side of every addition, and the mouth of it within the chapter and above it was a cubit. But the mouth thereof was round after the work of the base, of the base, a cubit and a half. And also upon the mouth of it were gravings with their borders, four square, not round. And under the borders were four wheels, 
and the axle trees of the wheels were joined to the base, and the height of the wheels was a cubic and a half a cubic. And the work of the wheels was like the work of a chariot wheel. Their axle tree and their naves and their fellows and their spokes were all molten. And there were four undersetters to the four corners of one base. And the undersetters were of very base itself. And in the top of the base was there a round compass of half a cubic high. And on the top of the base, the, ledge, the ledges thereof and the borders thereof were of the same. For on the plates of the ledges thereof and on the, full, on the borders thereof, he graved cherubims, lines, and palm trees, according to the proportion of every one, in addition round about. After this manner, he made in ten bases, all of them had one cast in one measure and one size. Then made he ten labors of brass. One labor contained forty bats, and every labor was four cubic, and upon every one of them of the ten bases was, was a base one leave, one labor. And he put five bases on the right side of the house, and five on the left side of the house. And he sat the seat on the right side of the house eastward over against the south. And Hiram made the labors and the shovels and the basin, so Hiram made an end of doing all the work that he made King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two bowls of the chapters that were on the top of the two pillars and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the chapters, which were upon the two of the pillars, which was on the top of the pillars, and 400 pomegranates for the network, even two rows of pomegranates, for one network to cover the two bowls of the chapters that were upon the pillars and the ten bases and ten labors on the bases. And one sea and twelve oxen were on the sea. And the, and the pot and the shovels and the basins and all the, these vessels which Hiram made to King Solomon for the house of the Lord were of brass, was of bright brass. In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukkot and Zartan. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighted because they were, un they were exceeding many, neither was the weight of the brass found out. And Solomon made all the vessels that pertained to, unto the house of the Lord, the altar of gold and the table of gold, whereupon the, sh the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left, before the oracles with the flowers and the lamps and the tongues of gold, and the bowls and the snuffles, and the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house to wit of the temple. So was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of the Lord. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels did he put among the treasures of the house of the Lord. Chapter 7 of 1 Kings, verses 1 through verse 
51. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and door of the word of God. A lot of information, a lot of details. And most of the details and information was given concerning not the framework, but what all was placed on the inside. That the house of God may be not only properly furnished, but that it was properly designed not only for worship, but also the Bible said for what? For judgment. And the Bible said, matter of fact, Brabra read Sunday from First Peter, uh, the scripture, that when judgment begins, it must begin first in the house of God. And if it first begins with us, what shall the end be of them that will be not the, the, the words of God, and where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? And so Solomon is not only doing this to make sure that the people of Israel is always mindful of God's judgment, but it also made it that who else that he would be mindful? Because guess where the judgment starts? With every person that leaves his household. With King Solomon, it starts with him. With the high priest, it starts with him. With the priest who works inside, inside uh, the house of God, it starts with them. Every leader, every person that's in leadership, judgment going to begin with you. Why? Because we must lead by example. And so all of these porches that Solomon was, was, was building was also places where they, they, they placed different ornaments and different types of altars for people to come and make their sacrifice and for them to come and do their worship. Same thing that the house of God. What the Bible said, there's nothing new under the sun. What is has been already. So the things that we see, it's also fashioned after the word of God. Nobody placed a, 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 a house of God and built it in a fashion that pleases them. They build it more or less according to what the scripture has said concerning the house of God. And you find candles. Some places you're going to find candlesticks. Places just about in every church you should find an altar, right? Where we come and, and not only rededicate ourselves, but that we go and pray and talk to God. Now, we have our own homes. We have our own places that we have, just like that movie that came out about the war room. This lady had made a, a place of prayer inside of her house, inside of a closet. Matter of fact, here in the church, you find back here, they made a wall room. They made that little room that used to be a, a, a baby's room. They made it out of a prayer room. And so what, what things supposed to do? It's supposed to bring us back to the basis, the basics of, of the Bible. Sometimes we get too far out. We get too lavish about certain things because we're trying to impress what? People. And God did not design us. He did not call us into his kingdom for us to impress people, but he brought us to do what? Impress him. And not impress him with how we dress or how we talk or how we sing, but how mostly how we live. Because it's how we live is what we're going to be judged by. 
He says, Lord, I come quickly and my reward is with me, and I'm going to pay every man according to whether his work shall be, whether it be good or whether it be bad. This is how we're going to be paid according to our works. And what is works? Things that we do or things that we fail to do. So Solomon is putting the house of God in order. You know, the physical structure is one thing. But what we place on the inside is something altogether different. You know, people can look at us on the outside and see how we carry a service, see how well the choir sing and how well the, 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 uh, the, the, the minister of music uh, take care of all of that. All of that's good on the outside. It looks good. That structure looks good. But it's once they come on the inside, see what's going on on the inside of you. Hear what's coming on. What Jesus said, it's not the things that come out of the mouth that defiles a man. It's what they put on the inside, right? Because whatever goes on the inside, the Bible says it's cast off in a drought, which means that once you go and use the, the bathroom, you destroy, you, dis, you, you discard those things. But what's come on the inside, what's on the inside of you is that. What's inside the heart? The Bible says, perceives the treasures of life. And so that's the, that's the main thing that people are looking for as far as we as Christians, we as born-again believers. They want to see what's on the inside of you. Not as far as your physical structure. What Paul says? He said, he say, though I live, yet not I. He said, in other words, what he was saying is, you see my physical structure. I'm still the same person I was when I was sold. When I was persecuting the house of God, he said, though I yet live, yet it's not I, but now it's the Christ that lives where? Inside me. So it was going on on the inside. And so when we, we read these 51 verses of Scripture, how much of it did you see that pertained to the structure rather than what was placed on the inside? They had all kind of uh, uh, engravings and all kind of decorations on the inside, all lavishly laid out, cherubims, which was like angels, and all of these different things on the inside of the house that always reminded you of what? Of God. On the inside of us, there should be always something to remind us about God. How good God been. How merciful he's been. How forgiving he is. How long-suffering he is. How loving he is. All of these things should have something on the inside of you that would represent God is living on the inside there. You know, anybody could have a building, a structure, and place a cross on the outside of that structure, but then come on the inside and see all kinds of stuff going on on the inside. That's the same thing with us as Christians. You know, it's talking about how lavishly he laid out the house of God and all the, 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 the furnishing and, and decorations and carving and, gra and engravings he placed on the inside. All of that was good and fine. But what... What was in his heart? That's the thing there. What, what is really inside of our heart? Didn't David say it in the psalm that, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me? 
Now, he was from the house of Israel, right? He was from the tribe of Judah that Christ would come through. But yet he had messed up to the point that he had to ask God to do what? Bring him back. Do sometimes we stray away? Huh? Do sometimes do we get weak? Do sometimes we get to the point that we don't pray like we should? We don't read our word like we should? And so we ask God, Lord, bring us. That's what David was doing. Physically, he had messed up. He didn't only take a man's wife. He caused that man to lose his life. And when God sent the prophet Nathan to him to, to let him see what he had done, he fell down at the mercy of God's feet, repenting and asked God to, re, to renew. He didn't say he didn't have it before. He said, renewing me. Right? It's not like you didn't have it before. Sometimes we get involved with the wrong thing and the wrong people, and it get away from us. The Bible says, look what Paul said. Paul said that we need to take the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, least at any time it would slip away from us. It's not like you haven't heard the word. It's not like you haven't been affiliated with, with God or with church. It's just that when we get affiliated with things that's outside of God, that it gets away from us until something happens and we remember God. That's why it has to be on the inside and not just on the structure. My wife and I, and maybe even some of y'all, had been places in certain attire. It could have been just in the restaurant. It wasn't a church. I'm talking about just in the restaurant. And somebody look at you and say, what church you belong to? Just on time. We was in Baton Rouge at a, at a I remember being at, in Baton Rouge at a, uh, a TDJ conference over, what's that guy's name who fell? Who? Yeah, we was at his, his, his church. It was at his church. And we went out that night, went to go eat or whatever. And just by, your, by our attire, and not just there, it been other places. They asked say, what church y'all belong to? It's, it's, it's what, see what's on the inside? It's going to show to the outside. It'll show to the outside. Just like we said Sunday, you have to be careful how you carry yourself because you don't know who know who. And if you say you're a Christian and then saw you in a church setting or whatever, and then they see you doing something outside of what you proclaim to be, then that shows a bad example, a bad resemblance, not only on you, but also on the church. How many times do you then heard people say, they see one person doing something wrong, and they say, all of y'all back there at that church, y'all are, you, what church you go to? Oh, no, uh-uh, they, they do all kinds of things back there. But they only saw one person, right? All, all they heard, one person might have said something bad out, out their mouth, but yet the whole church is labeled. The whole church gets labeled. Now, here in our scriptures, Solomon is laying out about the house that he had built for the Lord and all the costly stones and all the pillars of brass and all the basins and things that he placed in there. What, did, what do that let you know in seeing all of this stuff? What do that let you know? He spared no expenses. 
Pharaoh's daughter, he married her. But he, in other words, if you see it, he built a place separated for her because she was not of the house of Israel. She was not an Israelite. Because she would, it was, if you notice in, in, during this period of time, anybody that was a non-Israelite, they was considered a Gentile. And a Gentile, when they came into the house of God or whatever, they, they, they more or less, what they said, uh, uh, it was a blasphemous act. He married her because that was a political move. And so what he's doing, he's showing more or less respect, not only to the people of Israel, but more to the house of God. And he made a, a, a portion for her and for her only. That's why I say for Pharaoh's daughter. If you notice, as we go on through these other chapters, you're going to find other, other people that Solomon going to marry from other nations. He's going to be having places that they can go and worship their own God. Apart from it. That was attached to it, but apart from it. If you know, look what it says. And his house, yeah, verse 8, eh? Right. And his house where he dwelt had a hundred court within the porch. Now, who dwelt there? Exactly. And it had nothing to do with God. And his house where he dwelt had, a, had, a, had other court within the porch, which was of the like work. It was with, of the like work that was built for the, for the house of God. Like work. Solomon made also a house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife, like unto his porch. I believe that the way it's, it's stated here, that it was a place for his, for his wife, for Pharaoh's daughter, for her to go and worship her own God. Because all of those people that Solomon going to marry, they're not going to worship God. They're going to still be worshiping their own God. And that's going to be part of Solomon's downfall. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, look, check this out. Now, as bad as some of these people had acted and some of the things they had committed and did, but yet they frowned upon. An, a, a Gentile person coming into their place of worship. It was to them. It was it was uh, demeaning. To them, it was it was demeaning. Matter of fact, even now, yeah, even now, over in the Middle East, you know, uh, what's that guy named uh, Osama bin Laden? That was one of his. That was one of his cries to the people who followed him. He called the people of, of America, Gentile dogs, that they had degraded the, that, that land because it was a holy land. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't receive us as holy people.
a woman. Not, not only that. Yeah. Well, you can go for as back as, as uh, slavery. They used the Bible to control us. They told them, say, sir, say, say slaves, obey your masters. And so what did the slave call those, those slave owners? Master. And so they used the Bible to control them. Why? Because they was always outnumbered on every plantation more than 10 to 1. And so they used the Bible. That's why you, you saw this, 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 this movie. Uh, no, no, not the book of Eli. Something about the nation. nation. Uh, birth of a nation. What did they do with him? They made him, they, 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 made, they allowed him, not made him, they allowed him to learn how to read so he can use the Bible to help them control the slaves. And But he was so intelligent in, in, in evaluating what the word was actually saying rather than what the people, the white people told him what the Bible was saying, that he used it against them to relate to the people that how, this is how they was controlling them. They they hung us in the name of God. I believe the Bible was to help them more or less to read and to be rehabilitated, but not to control them. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't think it was, because matter of fact, the average hotel you go in, you're going to find a Bible. Yeah, well, that's the mindset they used to convert him to Islam. Yeah. Now, the, the, the nation of Islam, whether, whether you call them radical Islam or, 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 or just Islam, they believe is that they are the holy people of God. And they come against people who call themselves Christians. There's a woman that's been going over throughout that Middle East, and they say she's been filling up football stadiums. Well, you know, soccer over there. And people that was Muslims was out there worshiping, even people with them turbines on their head. And they got, I forget how many thousands of people that have sworn to kill her. And she'd be having all kinds of bodyguards around her. And, and people been getting converted. She been, they, they've been getting people converted. 
But as we were talking concerning this, anybody that was not affiliated with, the, with as an Israelite, they was considered a Gentile, which means that it was against the rules or regulation, as per se, for them to enter into God's house. Yes. Yeah. Even the Quran, the, the Quran, even the Quran speaks about Jesus. Right. It speaks about him as a prophet, though. Right. It was even a confusion among the Jews. It was a confusion even among the Jews. They believed in God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, but when they started talking about Jesus, yes, they're talking about the God of Abraham that Moses has spoke about that brought them. You know, before Abraham, there was no law. I mean, before Moses, there was no law. But there was it wasn't no law. It was only it was only a faith walk that Abraham did with God. The Bible said that God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and God accounted it unto him for righteousness. They had no law where they said, "Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not die." That law did not come until Moses. That law did not come until Moses. God made a covenant with Abraham. That's if, if you want to call it a law. That's the only law God had for the people of Israel at that time. They wasn't even called Israelites then. Okay. You remember what we had talked about? You said you even had talked to somebody that beef on your job concerning the men. The, 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 the people of God and the and the and the and the and the, uh, and the women of, of, of the women of, of, of servants and the and the men of God and and you were talking about the angels had led with that's what caused it. If you look I believe it's the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, it lets you know what caused God to do this thing because man thought what he thought was continually evil. And he said, I'm gonna bring destruction upon the earth. They suppose that they, they was making people of renown, renowned people, people that was of high caliber, of high thoughts, because the angels had laid with the women. All right, you want to go to it? So, so, so this is the reason why God did it. It wasn't because they had broke a law. 
It was because the angels that, that, was, that had fell with Satan had instituted a law among the people and caused them to sin with the angels. And so he said, I'm going to destroy it. To the point where, uh, what this guy, uh, where, they, where they built the city of Babel, and they wanted to build a stairway. Yeah, and, and talking about he was going to kill God and he was going to send to the throne. God said that was enough. When people had got to the point that they thought the same thing what Satan did. That's the same thing Satan did. He had got to the point because he was the praise leader in heaven and he was the most beautiful angel that God had created in heaven that he looked upon himself as God. And he said he was going to send his throne above the throne of God. And God cast him down. And all of those that followed him, that believed in him, was cast down with him. And the Bible says it was a third of the angels that fell with him. Now, just think. When Jesus said that if he wanted to, he could have called his father for 12 legions of angels that could have came to his rescue when he was about to crucify him, right? He said, but to this end was I born. This is what I was created for. This is why I came here, to die for the sins of men. He said, if, 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 I, if I wanted to, I could call unto my father and he would send 12 legions. You know how many one legion consisted of? I think a legion consisted of something like 6,000 to 12,000 men. You know, they had legions in armies. And I believe that consisted of anywhere from six to 12,000. And he said he could have called for how many? 12, 12 legions of angels. So just think about it, six or 12 times 12, and a, and a third of them fell. That's a lot. That it came to dwell among, among men. And the same way those angels deceived the people during that time, the spirit, there's a spirit, it's spirit. They're deceiving people today. How many times would you say, you know, something told me to just go in curse her out. Something just told me to just smack them in the face. That's what we say about something. It's a spirit that's talking to you. The Bible says to whomever you obey, your, your, your member to obey, to him you become the servant of. So who are you obeying today? What spirit is, is that you are obeying? Are you obeying the spirit of God that's telling you, you know, to live right, to live holy, you know, to forgive those that, that, that despitefully use you? And do all manner against you evil? Or are you saying, look, I'm going to get her back? What the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So if we're living for God and we have dedicated our lives to God, then we look to God to take care of every aspect of our lives, whether somebody did us something or whether somebody said something about us, we leave that vengeance to God. That's why I'm saying as far as the furnishing and of all the house that he had, uh, all the material that he had placed in the house of God, that's the thing there that shows the presence of the essence of God, not just the, 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 the physical structure. It's what's placed on the inside of us. The Bible says that's where everything proceeds from. Okay, so, all right, so this so 
35. Even after 35, something I indulge in I shouldn't have did. It's not what I decide. It's what what. This is what I'm saying. God God comes into all of our lives, regardless to where we are at. Let me let me finish. God comes into all of our lives, regardless to where we are at in life, regardless of what we are doing and what we are not doing. God will come into your life, but an immediate change don't take over you then. Because if that was to happen, then God would be a magician or either he would be a person that's a a dictator. We have to be willing. Whenever we give something to God, look what Paul says. We don't do it grudgingly, and we don't do it of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he's not just talking about money. He's talking about giving ourselves to him willingly. In the sixth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, when the people came against Nehemiah, when they went back to build the walls and the, and the rebuild the temple, when it was all burnt down, and they came out against him, and he was giving them a hard time in the building. You know what they say? They say, look, this is a good work that we're doing here, and we can't come down. Because the Bible said the men had a mind to work. It got to be placed on the inside of you, Eric. It got to be placed on the inside of you. You got to know that what you're doing is a good work. Sunday. You know, I, I, I believe what a person, I have to believe more or less, give the person the benefit of the doubt that what they're saying, they're saying it from their heart. They gave all kind of accolades to how well your character service, how well the food was prepared, how well things was done, even as far as being dressed, the coordination. And what I'm saying is you have to see that what you are doing means something to somebody else. You have to see this. I can't make you see this. I've told you all some of these things. I don't know how many times even my wife didn't say it in the service. And, and sometimes it looks like it go in one ear and come out the other. Either it just falls on deaf ear. I don't know. But the same thing we've been saying time after time, the preacher came here and preached about it. Did he? He preached about it. I didn't tell him anything. I said nothing to him about gifts and talents that y'all have here at the church and y'all Use it sparingly. And, 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 and one of the verses in that, in that text that he read, he gave one gift, one talent to this person, and he refused to use it because he said, well, I know God is a hard man, and, and I, I know you don't, you don't reap where you didn't sow and, 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 and all of these things, so I buried it. And that's what we do when we don't come and use it. We're burying it. You're burying your gift. You're burying your talent because guess what? When I first got saved, I didn't know anything about the word. I didn't know anything about hymns. I didn't know no hymns. None. I didn't know how to, I didn't know no songs. And you know what the first thing I did? The Lord led me to go join the choir. I was impressed with the choir. 
And so I went and joined the choir so I could learn. And that's where I started at. I started in the choir. And what am I saying? A lot of people's lives, a lot of people, their beliefs, and a lot of people who, 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 who's willing to go through certain things for God, it starts with the choir. It can't start with the choir. It always starts with the word of God. The word of God will convict you to the point that you'll come and ask to be saved until now you have to learn. Jesus says, learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. You got to learn of him, learn of his ways. And how we learn of his ways? Through his word. But we are impressed by how I was in, because when I went there, when I got in church, most of the people in there was young people like Erica is now. And I'm 35. And some of them people was young like us. And I'm looking at young people preaching the gospel. I say, golly, I say, I'm, I'm saying this to myself. How in the world, young as he is, he know the, know the word of God that well. I was impressed. I was astounded. Because most of them that was, that was younger than me. Then I heard some testimonies about some guys had not committed murder. And God saved them. Not only saved them from, 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 from hell, but they didn't even go to penitentiary for what they did. I'm, I was astounded by, by, by what I was hearing in there. And so now I got to see if this stuff really worked for me. And see, you got to allow God to prove himself in your life. My testimony is mine. But your testimony is even greater. But when I saw this, I was, I was, I was, I mean, I was astounded by what I heard and what I was seeing. Young people preaching the gospel. And I mean, when I first got saved in that church, they had at least two, three hundred people in the church. I mean, wall-to-wall people. They had people all upstairs in the banister. And these young people stood in the front of all of them people and preached the gospel like as though they were talking to themselves. They had no fear, no shame, no nothing. And I'm saying all of that, that you have to see for yourself that you have something to offer to the kingdom of God that somebody else is impressed by, that somebody else would want. They even went as far as talking about Michael, and Michael run the sound system. Am I right? He run the sound system. And they're talking about how well he did with a sound system. But we don't think that what we do counts. Now, what should have also impressed you is how well God felt about what they did concerning the scripture that the preacher preached about. He preached about three different people. One person had five talents, another person had two, and the other one had one. That's three different people, right? And the one who had five brought five more. He increased his to five more. And he said, well done. That good and faithful servant, you have been faithful. The other one had two in here, increased in for two more. So what am I saying? Is not a whole bunch of people that were saved. God is not impressed by how many people. God is impressed by how many people do what they do. That's what impressed God. 
What are you going to do with what I gave you? A talent is... You know why? Yeah, well, in the Bible it talks as far as talents, as far as money, because he was trying to relate a spiritual matter over concerning a physical thing about investment. God has invested in you and I. And so he's looking for return on his investment. What is the greatest investment he made with you? He died for you. Eternal life. He died for you. That's the greatest investment that anybody can give. What is your investment you make to your family? You're giving your life. You're working your fingers to the bone for them. My greatest investment what I did for my family. Whatever the need was, I went out there to work to try and make sure I met that need. And sometimes I was working two jobs and a hustle. I was working two jobs and a hustle to make sure that that house was provided for. And so it's what we bring to the table. It's what we give. You know, that's our gift. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving my life to you. God gave us life. He gave us his life to give us life in return. And the life that he gave us is for us to give back to him. Then he began to take this wisdom that God blessed him. 
To whom much is given? Much is required. about when I was in the project? Only only God kept me through all of that. It was a great ballot. You know how old I was when I start when I start having affiliation with the project? I was I was nineteen. Most of most of my my young adult history was in the project. So I was around a whole lot of drugs and violence and Well, you did, you know what they call that? They call that street credit. You had to have some type of street credit in order for it to be out there. So you gave all that You know, 
And I'm not, and I'm not going to be responsible for the lesson of the word that I give them. You sporadically come in and out the church. You you sporadic with your with your worshiping. You in and you out. You back in and you back out. And and you're not constant. I'm saying that to your credit. Listen to what I'm saying. I was constant in church. Constant in Bible study. And I still had struggles, Eric. It didn't come to me overnight. But see, once I committed myself to him, that's when it became easy. Because, see, right now, you're thinking that it's something that you have to do rather than you feeling to believe that this is something that God's going to do. We say it all the time. Let go and let go. It's when you let go of you trying to do it and allow God to work it out in your life, that's when the change is going to come. You trying to do it and, and impress people that, look what I'm doing, you know, I'm changing. It's not about that. Because now God is not getting the glory out of that. Eric is getting the glory out of that. It's when you allow God to do it. And you got, you got to do it one day at a time. Whenever the, the, the opportunity presents itself for you to be in Bible study, be in worship service, you have to make that commitment to be there. I put it to you like this. Whether it's your job or whether it was a physical ailment, and they say, look, man, if you want to live, you're going to have to come to treatment. You have to take this medication or whatever. Would you be committed to taking that medication to save your life? Would you be committed to making those, those uh, appointments at the doctor's office to see about your life? That's how committed we have to be to God. And the only reason why we're not as committed to this as we are to our physical structure is because what we do for God is spiritual. And what we do for ourselves is something that's personal to us. We spend all kind of time putting makeup on, getting our hair, hair braided. Some, some of y'all girls go to the hairdressers every week and spend all kind of money on y'all heads. Go to get your fingers done, your fingernails. At one time, at one time, they used to have that, Eric. I remember when I was a young, young guy, when I was a young man, you ain't hear nothing about no, what they call that stuff, and all that. You ain't hear nothing about that. These girls went to the, went to the drugstore and got fingernail pods and polished their own stuff. Now you paying somebody to do it. You put your feet in some kind of water, getting what they call them, pedicures, or whatever you call them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. These bread and all, and bread, they ain't have all of that. You went and got firms. That's what you read about firms and, and jelly curls. Now some all of that are different, and they spend an enormous amount of money on that stuff that don't even belong to them. Tell that they're going to take out. In a, in a week or a, a month. That's money you can throw it down the ground. We put all of this attention on the physical structure, and we don't, we don't put the same attention on our spiritual structure. And it's once we get to the point that what's on the inside of me, my, my relationship 
with God is more important than my relationship to people, then we allow God to start making sense. Of course. Exactly. It's influence. There's now influence. now what you're saying is a lot of truth to it, but I thought you was going in another direction with it. Because when you first said that what he did his daddy got him out. Yeah. And when your daddy's getting you out of something, it don't cost you anything. So it don't it it's not it's not hard for you to go back and do it again because you feel it be well my daddy gonna get me out of this. Because I remember, look, everything that cost it Scooby, I paid for. Everything. If he spent a nickel on a pencil when he was in school, especially when he went to college, I, I gave him twice the amount of money that, that pencil cost. Everything he got himself into, I got him out. He had just went to, to, to it was his second year in college. When he got into that trouble in school, him and another guy influenced him to go in another guy's room, and he robbed that boy's room. I went to Lafayette and that. I don't have to say how much it cost me some money to get him out of that trouble. Right at the same day that I got the release from the lawyer for him, me and Scooby drove to Lafayette that Saturday. Never forget it. That same Saturday when we come back, I talked to this boy in the upstairs room in our bedroom. He was living with this little boy, Straight Street or whatever his name was, over in an apartment in, 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 in Harvard. And Gretna. And I told him, I said, man, see that crowd that's going in that boy house? This ain't good for you. I said, you're just not getting out of trouble. His mindset, my daddy going to get me out, regardless of what I get in. Because everything, it, 
that costed him, he didn't pay it. I paid it. To the point that when he got arrested for that own robbery, I was putting my house up to the lawyer. I was giving them our house to buy his time. That lawyer said, man, do you know what you're saying to me? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a, a officer of the court. But that's how far I was willing to go for him. It wasn't until Scooby got in behind them balls and it costed him. And I'm not saying he's he 100% changed. But before that, Scooby wasn't working for nobody. Me and his mama was taking care of his stuff. We even gave, drove to Lafayette and gave him a van. Scooby kept that van for so long and sold it to get money. That's the kind of stuff he was doing, and we was paying for it. It wasn't until it costed him something. When he did that eight and a half years, when he came home, he told me and his mother, I don't want to go back there. It costed me eight and a half years. It didn't cost me, him, he said. It cost me eight and a half years. And it's not until it costs you. So you got, to, you got to be willing to give something up. It got to cost you. Matter of fact, we had a, a Bible study, uh, I believe it was in the fifth chapter of 1 Kings, when David said that they wanted to give David this property for him to build the house. He said, no. He said, it has to cost me something. He said, I won't, I won't take it unless it costs me something. And, and when it begins to cost you something is when you're going to begin to appreciate what you have. See that? See the freedom Scooby have now? He appreciates his freedom. He talks about how he won't get off those oil rigs. He talks about how tired he'd be going out there. But he goes, you know why? Because being out there had less time for him being on these streets to get himself into trouble. And so it has to cost you something. And until it begins to cost you something, and causing you're not saying that falling or losing a house or a car. I'm not talking about that cost. I'm talking about a, a, a cost of sacrifice. I was 
That's what I'm saying. And once you have something that costs you, see, you made the sacrifice because you needed to have a place of your own. This is what you're saying. Right. And that sacrifice, it costed you. It costed you, you. That's the same thing with God. Until you're willing to make that sacrifice about you, because you and I didn't have many conversations, you know, and you said, you know, a lot of things, it's about me. Right. And until you give up you. This is what I'm saying. <coughs> That's what it brought down to. When, when Saul... Huh? You say... Come unto me, all ye that lead me heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. Plus, he had a relationship with Roman. He was also, he had two citizenships. He had a citizenship as a Hebrew, and he was a citizenship as a Roman. His, his mother was a Hebrew. His father was a Roman. So he had dual citizenship. And when he lived up under the Hebrew citizenship, when he was a Hebrew, a Pharisee, he was, at that time, he persecuted the people of God, arrested any and everybody that, he, that taught and preached Christ. When he came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he had to give up his role as a Pharisee. It costed him that citizenship because he had to give it up in order for him to become what God wanted him to be. 
That's why I say, though I live, yet not I, but it's the Christ that lives within me. And so when you give up Eric and become Brother James, then you'll find out that it wasn't so hard. The only hard part was the body was giving you up because we always want to have our ego stroked and we always wanted to be looked up to, I'm this and I'm that, you know. I believe most men have that struggle. Women may have their own struggles, but not like we as men. And that's the and that's the that's the problem. But guess what? Regardless to whether Yeah, regardless to whether get that candle. Uh, what's that Yeah. Um I stand no longer with you. Goodbye, pleasures of sin. I stand no longer with you. I made up my mind to go that way for the rest of my life. I made up my mind to go that way for the rest of my life. So both six and seven chapter of this, it talked about a physical structure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.